I want to start back in high school when you first sort of started in band life. And originally you had the, what was it? Dr. Dolphin was your very first band. Yeah, it was one of them. Yeah. But let me, oh, okay. let me go, let me go a little bit before that. I'll, I'll oh, okay. make it brief. brief sure. Okay? <laughs> my, my, um, obviously I was born uh, in Cottesloe, uh, on near the beach in Perth and Western Australia. Right. My dad had been in the Royal Navy. Okay. And he, he hadn't been back to see my grandparents or his parents for 15 years. So we all got on a ship. And three weeks later, we went to London in 1964 and we went to a variety show and I saw the Beatles. That was the first band I saw. Right. I, and, yeah. I, w- I was going to ask you about that, but I didn't know if you wanted to go back that far. But I was wondering if you remember anything about oh, that show. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do. I can remember the television cameras. Actually, like, because they were like big pterodactyls moving oh. backward and forward. And everyone oh, okay. was going nuts over this over this band. And, I, and I'd never even seen a band. I was just a little kid. And I'm like, what's the big deal with these guys, you know, as I'm sitting there? And then afterwards, you know, later on in my life, you know, my older brother, Tim, you know, we were talking about it one day and we asked my dad when he was alive, you know, what was that? What was that all about? And, and he goes, yeah, you went and talked to him afterwards. I'm like, no. Wow. No, I shouldn't say that. But anyway, I'm thinking that that that's bizarre. Anyway, yeah. um, so but that was probably the uh, a thing that really kind of when I saw that, how excited people could get about music, that was probably one, something that was important. And the next thing was I learned to play piano when I was about nine. Mm-hmm. And then I taught myself to play guitar because I used to sneak into my brother's bedroom and pl- plays guitar. And so, you know, I was teaching myself to do that. And then, um, but now we come into high school years, yeah. And I had, you know, sort of young high school bands that I was in and I was a singer, actually. And I was still writing songs and we were playing whatever we were playing. Well, yeah, I still wrote songs back then. And then I met Michael Hutchins. He came in through the uh, schoolyard and um, he wasn't in a band. He was, uh, he, he was into motorbikes, actually, as I remember. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, and we got talking about bikes and he said, why don't you come over and check out my motorbike? I said, sure, man. So I come over and, and I had a look and it was pretty cool. And he was taking the thing apart and fixing it and stuff. And and then we, we talked not very much about music. And then later on, we sort of became a bit better friends. And and then we started talking about music and he'd come along and seen some of the bands I had or whatever. And then... Um, one thing led to another and he always was really, really good with, with poetry prose, you know? So we started writing a lot together and then that's kind of how our songwriting partnership started, even though we didn't realize we were forming that that's where that connection happened pretty, when we were pretty much teenagers. And then he went over to Los Angeles. He went to North Hollywood high school because he's, uh, his family had sort of gone different ways. And then when he came back again, I'd already kept going with my bands and done other things. And, but when he came back, he changed a lot. He had long hair and he was completely kind of, you know, he'd been influenced, I think, by other things. And one right. thing led to another. And, you know, then we, we started forming what became and turned into Dr. Dolphin, like you said. Mm-hmm. And then eventually that led to an excess. Yeah. And, and there was the vegetables before that, right? Before well, yeah, excess, well, right before? Well, actually, before in excess, we were the Farris brothers because I got right. two brothers as well, Tim and John, yeah, and uh, and the brothers and Kirk Pengilly and Gary Beers and Michael. We were the Farris brothers, but I think that probably drove Michael nuts because he was singing, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, as, as was as was Kirk actually in those years, and um and so uh you know uh yeah, but then then we changed the name to in excess, and I guess for you for what people know of that, as the rest is history. 
Yeah, but now, exactly. now I'm doing what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah. let's talk about what you're doing. So in excess, uh, following Michael's passing, had a few different singers you guys kind of continued for a little while your last show was november 2012 i believe i I think that sounds about right yeah right and then since that time have you been writing for yourself because i know you've done a lot of producing and writing for others but during that time as well were you doing a lot of writing for yourself getting prepared for an eventual release or did that come later on well, you know, I when, I when I look at awards and accolades and things, all I can say is, and I've been fortunate to have had these things during my career and my life, right. is that an award, like let's say a platinum record, is no use to you unless you have a life to hang it on, you know. Right. The accolade, if your life's a complete disaster, it doesn't mean that much. So, you know, your life... And to me as a songwriter, you know, the quality of your life, you know, is the same thing. And how can you write songs that connect with people unless you are connected with reality and you have a life that you can connect with people when you're writing a song? Because otherwise you can't connect with anybody because you're in a different headspace, you know? Right. And so, right, you know, and, 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 you know, physically, emotionally or whatever, um, intellectually. But I think for me, my journey really started uh, not so much as, oh, well, you know, I'll go make an album now. As you had pointed out and we've been talking about, I've always written songs. And even during that period, even way back when, before In Excess stopped performing, I was still writing um, in the old days. And I didn't necessarily use those songs uh, with anybody. I I just kept them in the background, like on the shelf, you know. And then, um, and then I realized as it went along, I thought, well, you know, I've made all these sort of recordings of songs, and and there were new songs, very new songs too, that I and but they all sounded different because they'd been recorded with different instruments on different machines over different eras and time. Some were old analog recordings, some were very modern digital recordings. I didn't know what to do with all these these recordings, and they because they sounded all over the place. Right. So I started re-recording these songs. And then I started singing them because I was the closest singer around. So I started singing them. And then I thought that someone, if they didn't like my voice, like say the Nashville, uh, you know, recording engineers would say, look, hey, Andrew, you know, we'll get a, we'll get someone to sing this. What do you think? You know, oh, okay. they didn't. They said, well, you know, we like your voice. Keep singing. I'm like, oh, really? Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> I'll keep doing it. But the real game changer for me came when I took a horse riding uh holiday trip with my wife Marlena who's from Dayton in Ohio and that's about five and a half hours drive to Nashville we went down to the Mexican border and we rode horses uh, along an area called the Chiricahua Mountains where the Apache Indians uh, were and where you had the tumultuous histories of these people uh, you had the U.S. Cavalry places like Apache Pass um, you know Cochise's Stronghold uh, the old abandoned U.S. cavalry forts. You had the Mexican people across the border and the old days of Mexican army all up the road. You had Tombstone with the cowboys and outlaws and you had the settlers trying to make something a life amongst all this chaos. And we rode horses through these wilderness areas for six hours a day for six days straight. And at the end of it, I came back to Nashville in a writing session. And the first song I think I wrote 
that became the beginning of my album was Apache Pass. I, I real well, I wrote that with Frank Myers, and he's, right. he's you know, he's about my age, and you know, and I loved writing that song with Frank. Frank's an awesome writer, and uh, you know, I just want to say thanks, Frank, if you're out there and you ever hear this. <laughs> I just want to say thanks. And that's when my journey, journey really started to, to record my album it was right there. Yeah. And what was it like thinking about recording an album and stepping to the front now and being in the spotlight? Was that scary for you or was it pretty exciting in taking that leap? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I over the years, especially within Excess, we played in the end, we played the biggest stages in the world. And we played the smallest stages in the world in parts <laughs> of our career. And I know what the difference was. And I think the toughest, the toughest job for any artist or musician, songwriter, is when people don't know your material. Right. When you walk out cold onto a stage and nobody knows who you are, the, the best way you know, out of that scenario is to play someone else's song that everybody knows well because then they're gonna you're gonna go down well but it can be really really testing when you walk out on a stage and nobody knows your material you know um, yeah and so yeah it can be really hard actually and because everyone's like what's this you know um and, and it's sort of uh, yeah a bit, bit nebulous at first but I, i'm fortunate because of my background that i had within excess where i have those songs i can draw on that i, that I wrote or co-wrote and I, and I, you know, I wrote a lot of them. Um, so it, to me, it, it's important to me to keep that in the back of my mind. Uh, but I've been really enjoying the journey. I have a fantastic band of musicians, country musicians playing with me at the moment. I'm having a great time. Hmm. And did you have to watch where your expectations were at? Because like you say, at the end of the NXS run, like you were playing the biggest stadiums out there. And so did you mm. have to go into this project realizing that it might not start like that and you might have to start near the bottom doing the smaller venues and just having fun with it? Yeah, I, you, that's the word is have fun with it. And when I first seriously considered the idea of what I'm doing, which is promoting what I'm doing now and playing live and in this country Western genre that I've gone into, you know, the, the music I'm doing, I did promise my wife, Marlena, and, you know, that, look, if this is enjoyable, we'll keep doing it. But if it doesn't become enjoyable, I'll stop doing it. You know? Right. Um, and, you know, because I, I want to actually, it sounds selfish. I just want to have a good time doing it, you know, <laughs> I don't have any other reason really why, why I have to do it. I just, I'm just feel fortunate that I can do it. So I'm out there doing it, you know? Yeah. And you've done it for so long. Has there ever been a point over any of it where it has felt like a job or over your entire career? Has it always been fun? Uh, look, you know, especially during the NXS years, I mean, we worked in 52 countries and of course, you had the terrible tragedy with Michael's suicide and mm -hmm. all that sort of thing. All those kind of personal experiences, you know, they 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 don't help in many ways to make it like, oh, okay, well, you know, it's like a roller coaster. You know, you you have really big highs and then really big lows, and you get right. big highs. And after a while, you get, can we have something in the middle, please? But I miss Michael, and he was my friend, and we mm -hmm. all miss him. And you know, he was an incredibly talented performer and songwriter. And yeah, I miss him you know, a lot. Are you in the middle now? Or have you found a place in the middle? Yeah, I think, well, I'm not, I'm not so much middle of the road. I wouldn't call what I'm doing middle of the road at all. In fact, 
I see. I love outlaw country. I like old school country and, and modern country too. But I like blending it all together. So I, I've, to me, I feel like um, you know, like I, I like exploring some of history and with music and and culturally as well, and including in Australia. Uh, you know, there's one of my songs is with the Kelly Gang. Uh, that I noticed you guys have picked up on, which surprised me because it's about an Australian bushranger outlaw guy. Right. And I noticed that Canadians are really curious about that song. And to me, I was like, that's the last song that I thought, you know, Canadians would be interested in <laughs> because, you know, it's a song about an Australian bushranger, you know. What has been your reaction to how people have taken it? And you released your EP first, which wasn't necessarily the plan, but with the way everything worked out and the response from how right. it went and with the releases and what people are saying, how does it make you feel? Well, yeah, I'm actually quite excited. I mean, so far, so good. I mean, I when I embarked on this, I didn't, like I said, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't expect anything really. I just wanted to make music because I was enjoying it and I was, I was stimulated intellectually and as a songwriter because I finally had boundaries of how I would write my album. Before that, I wasn't sure. I, I didn't want to do I didn't want to do the pop thing of just getting 12 songs that would suit, you know, some sort of chart genre and right. then throw that out. I didn't feel comfortable with that. Um, I could have done that. That's not quite what I wanted to do. When I suddenly realised that the cultural part of it uh, both Australian culture, you know, old world culture and US Canadian old world culture, the bringing of instruments in from Europe that became country folk music and all that sort of thing. And then turned into inspiring people like Willie Nelson. He wanted to be a cowboy. I was that way. I thought was always curious. And I have a farm that I live on. I've owned for many years and I have cattle and grains when it rains. And I really am a cowboy, even though I probably people don't think of me like that. And, you know, I've fallen off horses and I've, I've mustered cattle. I've done all kinds of things. So when I did this horse riding trip, it just suddenly I realized, you know what, Andrew, you need to combine all this stuff. You know, you need, you need to be who you are in your time. You, are, you know, but at the same time, I'm talking about an older time, a frontier time, pre-electricity even, you know. Right. And I've seen some articles that say um, there was one that I think it, it, the quote was sort of like, it's surprising that the album doesn't sound like in excess. And I was kind of surprised at that because I don't know why people would just automatically think that it's going to sound like that. So was it your goal to create something that was your own, that was very personal for you? Obviously, yeah, it was because that's what you've kind of yeah. been saying, right? Well, right. And well, first of all, I pay respect to NXS. What an awesome band. I know how good they are because I played with them. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're amazing musicians. And I miss Michael, like I said. But yeah, when it came to doing my own music, also it's a completely different music genre. Um, you know, I'm working with instruments that, that, that NXS wouldn't have ever normally used, you know, right. pedal steels and mandolins, mandolas, uh, you know, fiddles. And these kind of old world instruments and instead of perhaps using like electronic technology that I was using, say, 35 years ago, like loops and beats and, you know, sort of EDM based stuff or whatever, you know, that, that kind of digital technology. I, I didn't want to do that. I actually wanted instead to replace all that technology with old school instruments. And 
was that different in the writing then in using those instruments that maybe you're not used to? Did that make the writing process different than you're used to? Well, actually made it really interesting for me and challenging. There's another word, you know, I found this process challenging for me and I think that was healthy. It didn't feel like, Oh, this is easy. You know, right. Um, You're right. You know, for me, a lot of it, and I had an awesome group of musicians, you know, to work with in Nashville um, a lot of them were legendary players and incredible session musicians and Larry Beard there from, uh, from the other side of the railway tracks in Nashville, Larry and, and, he, and his family have an awesome little studio. And I basically work with this sort of family unit of people all know each other and they helped hugely w- for what I was trying to do. And, and, and I think it was kind of interesting because I think they began to wonder what are you trying to do, Andrew? Because I, when I started rec- recording, and there's some of the songs that I, I've tracked there that I haven't released too. You know, I, there's a lot of work that I've done that's still, you know, like my EP that came out, and that was because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, the first, the first thing that happened to us all in life is the with the pandemic, because you you worry about your, your your health, your family, your job. You know, you don't worry about Andrew Farris's album. That was why I stopped trying to put it out. And I thought, I could, you know what do you do with this? You know, your first plan is to change your plan, right? Yeah. And what was the thought about the timing now? Because the pandemic isn't over by any means. So what was the thought in the timing of putting it out now? Well, I I think that, you know, I look, I believe in the positive. I believe that, you know, positive things happen if you do positive things. And that, you know, I think the world's realized that, you know, we're in a, a new frontier, if you like. And I'm not just talking about technology frontier. I'm talking about with the pandemic. That's a new frontier for the world. You know, just like the old West was a frontier world. And, uh, and I think we're, but I think slowly a lot of people are getting on top of it. And I think that's a very important thing. I hope everyone's okay out there. And are you really looking forward to the chance of getting out there and touring with this and getting back on the road? When was the last time that you were on the road for any sort of time? Well, actually, I started uh, playing live uh, uh, around about January of 2020 before the pandemic really kicked in. I was on my way out the door with a band to go touring. And now I've put that band back together again. Awesome musicians, girls and guys. And if you want to check out what we're doing, you can go to uh, my YouTube channel, andrewferris.com, and we recorded uh, a live concert. Uh, it's, it's just the EP set, the LP set. We're still, still in post-production with the visual because it was filmed as well as recorded. Oh, but okay. you can watch what we did uh, during lockdown in Sydney in a studio at 301 Studios. And so if people are curious to see what I'm doing live, they can go watch that and they'll get an idea of what we're going to do. That's the band basically I'm taking out. And so the LP will be up on your YouTube as well at some point, a performance of the entire LP. Yeah. We're just working out the visual part of it now, you know Um, you know, it's not easy to look good, (laughs) but then again, I think the, I think the uh, the rolling, I'll I'll take a quote, I think from the Rolling Stones, if you sound good, you look good. (laughs) And so what does the future hold? Like I've heard you say that right now for you, family is the most important. And like you said before in the interview, if you're not happy, then you have to look at it and say, okay, what am I doing? Do I really want to be doing this? And so as the future moves on, you seem like you're happy and this project is really creating something with you, some energy. Well, absolutely. And I, you know, the other thing is that 
I have to make sure that people are enjoying what I'm doing. And if they're into what I'm doing, that'll be encouraging for me to keep doing it. You know, if they, if people shrug off whatever I'm doing, they'll say, well, that's cool. I'll go do something else. You know, <laughs> it's pretty, I mean, it sounds a bit basic, but that's the way I look at it. And plus I hope restrictions can ease for us all around the world with travel. And it's not, you know, a, a continuing nightmare experience, but I'd love to come play for you guys over there somehow sometime soon. Yeah, definitely. And how different is it the feedback these days as opposed to the in excess days? Because that back then you didn't have social media. You didn't necessarily have that connectedness to the entire world. So now that you have that, how different is that for you as a musician as opposed to back then? Right. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I've talked a little bit about that uh, recently. I think all I can say is for young people, I think it's fantastic. I think for this younger generation of people, it's a wonderful thing because they can make their music, for example, in a bedroom or on a laptop or something, and then that can go out all around the world. And then, you know, they can go when they could get off a plane in another country and everybody knows who they are. Mm-hmm. And that's actually incredible. Um, those bridges, those cultural bridges and, and musical bridges are really quite amazing because of technology and electricity and all the rest of it. But I, in the in the older days, when when us guys, the NXS guys, were doing what we were doing, we'd go to say to a US radio interview, and they go, "You guys from Austria?" You know, and then we're from Australia. You know, this kind of stuff. You know, and you, and nobody knew. You know, we were all just foreigners and strange people with strange accents. Whereas the world's a bit small like that now because of the internet and whatever, and everything's instant. You know, it's just right there. You know, and so you don't have to physically do so much, you know, like most of our journey when we were younger was always physical. You physically had to do everything, you know, you couldn't let electronics do it all for you. you Yeah, exactly. It's a much different time. And I heard you say in an interview that your fifth album within excess, the, that hit really well in America, listen like thieves. Um, When that hit and you got the phone call, you had this feeling like it wasn't like jubilant it was more like is this it like i've been building up my entire life to be successful to find the success and now i have it and that feeling of is this it is this the pinnacle and so i wanted to ask if you ever were able to internalize that and if you ever sort of figured that out emotionally in moving past that well first of all you know you're lucky if anyone likes you at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, you know, they're personal sort of moments in a sense where that experience you're talking about, yeah, was in excess's fifth studio album. And we'd had hits prior and, you know, in different countries, including Australia and around the world and top 40 hits. And I remember, you know, off of, uh, our first international release album, which was Shabu Shaba. I remember Bruce Springsteen covered Don't Change when he came out to Australia and all this sort of thing. And so we knew that we knew that we were gaining more and more attention, but was that fifth album with that song, What You Need? And then Michael and I both talked about it and we went, how do you feel about that? You know, going top five in North America. And, I, and we were sort of talking about it. And I said, I feel really uncomfortable about it. And he said, yeah, so do I. And, and when we worked out why, it was because, like you said, is that the highest pinnacle of what we've done? This is that, that moment, you know? And then we both thought, well, going into Kick, the album that followed, 
we have to do better than that. We actually have to come up with a whole album of that, you know, and virtually we kind of did that. We had five top five, you know, international hits off kick off that album because the two of us wrote all the songs on it and we just worked really hard to try and better what we'd already done. But I think all of that mountain climbing, as I said before, all this business, um, it's nice just to be cruising along right now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And with the songwriting, you've been doing it so long. And like you say, you have such a library behind you that do you put a lot of pressure on yourself when you're doing the writing or because you have fun with it and because you enjoy it, is there not necessarily that pressure that you have, especially when you are writing your new album? Yeah, I, right. I, I, I think, I think I load the pressure on myself rather than letting other people load it on me. That's one lesson I learned from the first time around, you know, is that, is that you get a lot of people, you know, and it's in their interest for you to keep doing things, you know, not necessarily right. in your best interest as an artist. And I recognize as I was, and I'm going into this thing, I've got to keep my, you know, I've got to be looking around me, you know, behind me and see what's going on, make sure that, my life is going along the way I want it to go along, you know, and there, yeah, then it'll be really enjoyable, you know. And it, has that been a big thing throughout your career in being able to manage expectations yourself and not having other people manage those expectations for you? Well, expectations is, is an interesting thing. Um, often the thing we think is going to happen in life is not necessarily what happens. Um, I haven't met anyone yet that can predict with some accuracy what is going to happen all the time. Look at the pandemic. So you have to have a certain amount of flexibility in life to, to get through life. And as my dad used to say, no one gets through life without help from other people. And are your brothers still a part of any of your music, like in the writing or in the production or anything like that? Uh, no, they're not actually, but I saw my younger brother, John, the other day, he's got a beautiful farm he lives on and he, he, he didn't want the silky oak tree. So he went down and got his truck and he dug it out and put it in a pot for me <laughs> and I've planted it where I live. Uh, and it's, it's growing, you know, uh, look, I miss my brothers and I miss, I miss those guys in excess. We, you know, we don't have these sort of uh, you know, dreadful bust up things and all the rest of it. We get on well, we're family and we're mates and it's all good. You know, I don't want a problem. They don't either. You know, so, <laughs> you know, and I miss playing with them. They're a great band, you know, a really amazing band of musicians. And, you know, um, but yeah, you know, look, I'm doing my own thing. And, you know, if, they, if those fellas want to turn up, I'd love to see them, you know. And so what's the future hold? Because I know, I think I heard you say that you have a catalog of like 200 songs that you've written over the past few years. So do you have plans to be creating more LPs in the next few years? Well, yeah, I'll just sort of steady as she goes with that. Um, I mean, I've, I've got, I've had the EP, with a five track EP out, um, but I now have my LP out as of mm -hmm. last Friday. Uh, which has 12 completely new tracks on it. Um, and so, yeah, and it's a whole different thing than the EP I had out. So there's a total of 17 songs and pieces of music that I've released really in a fairly short space of time, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I've got more songs. I, I've always worked like that. Um, I remember, <clears throat> I think it was the song New Sensation on the Kick album, that I'd actually written the music for back in 1982. 
And, oh, wow. Yeah. And someone said, you know, one of the record producers on it, that the band had worked with said, he said he, he sort of felt sick because he said, I didn't know you had that song. I said, well, you didn't ask me. <laughs> and so do you have others like that that come up now when you're in this process when you had this album with your producers was there anything that came up that you weren't necessarily thinking of using but that came up and they were like oh well why aren't we using that well yeah i produced my own album this time around because i had a definite idea of what i wanted to do but you know next time around i might actually get a record producer sure i just don't I just don't want to suddenly become, you know, uh, I don't know how to put it. I, I want to stay true to the what I'm doing at the moment, which is exploring culture and trying to connect. I'm trying to make my lyrics all flow in between each other. And in the mm. old school, I know it's old fashioned, but have an, an album idea where I, I flow my lyrics between all the different songs so that it's almost like a concept thing, you know, rather than, Oh, okay. I've got these twelve individual pop songs. So I'm, you know, in, in the music genre, could be country, rock, or whatever it is, or you know, whatever music genre. I'm not that worried about that anymore. I'm just interested in exploring something else at the moment. Yeah. And is that mm. a nice place to be in, in just being able to take that idea that's in your head, and just take it to fruition yourself and have it exactly the way you want it to be? Well, fortunate is a word that comes to mind. And also I take very seriously cultures, like I was saying to you before, uh, you know, I have uh, family and friends all over the world, but I have family in, um, uh, you know, US and and uh, England uh, and in Australia. And, you know, yeah, I've worked in 52 countries and I, I take other cultures very seriously. And But the part that I think is interesting is we've only got one earth, you know, and we all have to live on it together, and um, you can't eat a smartphone. 